to be some serving opportunity so that I could sneak in and be a part of that, that conference. My goodness, anybody a little bit jealous that, you're, that, you, that the Lord made you the, the other sex just for that, just for those two days? My goodness, I'm, I'm, like, I'm like, man, Linda Bud, she's going to bring it. But definitely be here Sunday morning and Sunday evening, all of us. Um, we will, we will uh, not leave the same. So, valet parking. I can do that. Absolutely. Can I take tips? No, no. Oh, <laughs> free valet parking, evidently, um, <laughs> at the conference. Praise God. Hey, we're in a we're in a Roman series. Uh, Romans chapter six is where we're going to be today. If you're uh, if you're like to read ahead, so I'm going to guess if your head is down, you're reading, not sleeping, right? Good. Romans chapter 6. Here's the question, that, um, kind of the title, but the question for today is, what do I do with sin? You ever wondered about that? What do you do with sin? Um, it, it, you know, you, you know about it, kind of. You talk about it a little bit. It, it's uh, every once in a while preached about, but not, not often. And uh, what, do I, what do I do with that? And sometimes there's some, some unsaid questions that we just internalize and we just don't want to really ask about. And so, uh, so then I get the privilege of just kind of uh, talking about it here. And uh, I, again, another one of those Holy, Goose, Holy Spirit goosebump uh, messages, right? For, but this will be good. So I would just, I'd listen up. This might change your life, actually. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, you walk away never the same because of today. Here's the, here's the thought. Actually, the thought is more of a positive thought. Watch this. God's gift of eternal life isn't just a one-time transaction. We can choose to step into that every day. God's gift of eternal life isn't just a one-time transaction. We, we get to choose to step into that every day. Um, how do I know that? Well, Jesus said it. He said it this way in John 17, verse 3. He said, now this is eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. Eternal life. I like that. I like, I like having you talk back to me sometimes. You know, It doesn't work as well in my home, but it works well, <laughs> works well here. No. All right, John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you. Jesus is talking here. This is, a lot of people call it his high priestly prayer. So he's he's in the garden and he's praying so hard that he's bleeding drops of blood and he's praying to his father and he says this he says now this is eternal life that they know you and then he defines what that means the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent and so I would submit to you that we can intentionally step into eternal life every day Hopefully there was a moment or a series of moments that led you to, to a decision where you, you, you uh, one moment weren't going to heaven and the next moment you were. Hopefully there was a decision at some point where you said yes to Jesus. And how many know that when you said yes to Jesus that that means that you've got, you've got a one-way ticket to heaven? And that's good news right but what we also hopefully you you know if you don't know you're going to know today is that is that that promise of eternal life yes it's then but it's also now that Jesus says I came that you may have what life and life to the fullest life some places call it say life abundantly and so um, I would like to submit to you that his 
plan for you isn't that you just uh, hold on really, really hard and just kind of plow through and, and, and live way below the standard so that someday maybe you could have eternal life. Like maybe his plan for you is to walk in eternal life right now. What would you think? Is that a good idea? All right, all right, all right. Um, the opposite of eternal life would obviously be death. Are we, uh, we agree? I mean, uh, I'm not the sharp, sharpest tool in the shed. I'm not the brightest crayon in the box. Sometimes one fry short of a Happy Meal. But, but I would just submit that the opposite would be death. Listen to this. You've probably heard a quote like this before. I didn't make it up. Sin will take you further than you wanted to go keep you longer than you wanted to stay and cost you more than you wanted to pay. Anybody resonate with that? You're like, yep, that happened. Yeah, it, it, no matter what we're talking about, when we, when we, when we talk about the, the topic of sin, man, you, you, you step out into it and whether you, whether you were deceived into it or it was a choice or what, it, it, you, you never in your mind think, hey, I want my life to be all messed up. You don't, no one ever wakes up and, you know, it's like that, you remember that commercial back in the day where someone, you know, said something like, like, when I grow up, I want to be a junkie. Like, you remember, you know, was that just me? Did I only, I was the only one that heard that commercial? Like, that, that's, <laughs> she said, yes, you were, you were the only, only one. That, that's, uh, nobody says that. We, we, we kind of tiptoe into this place where it's just like it, it's not it's not that bad you know right and we and sometimes we don't even think we're really that far away from the goal and eventually sin takes us farther than we wanted to be farther than we even imagined that we'd be and we're we're there and then it keeps us we end up staying quite a bit longer than we wanted to stay. Anybody resonate with that? That, that, that not, only did, not only did you go farther, but you stayed longer? And then how many know, and we're not just talking dollars, it could be dollars, but it cost you something. And it cost you more than you, you originally planned on and more than you were willing and wanted to pay, but you had to pay it. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Um, just I want to I want to define sin really quick, and then and then uh, and then maybe share a story or or two or nine or something. Uh, a lot of times, people when, when we say sin, um, all over the, there might be different definitions all over this room. So I want to just I'd, I'd like to share a definition that kind of just uh, evens the playing field, and that all of us would be like, okay, so that's what we're that's what we're talking about. And I believe this is a biblical definition. Sin is simply missing the mark. And actually, the word sin is an archery term. Do we have any archer, archers in, in here? Anybody? A couple? Of, yeah, oh, right in the back, right? Uh, you know, and so imagine a bullseye, and you shot the arrow, and, and, and I'm going to imagine that I'm really good at this. You know, I, I've, I've heard that it, that it takes, like, lots of practice and lots of muscle memory and all this, but imagine... Imagine you, you're, you're aiming, and there's the bullseye right there, and then, and then instead, of missing, instead of hitting the mark, you're like five feet off the target. Would, would anybody agree with me that that's a sin? 
according to the definition of missing, <laughs> missing the mark, if you don't make even the, the, the target, if you're not even on the target at all, especially missing the bullet, if you're not even, if you're off, anyone ever played darts? Everyone went to a dart room and you're like, somebody missed. Because there's like, there's holes all over the place. We all know, we all know if there was a dart room in, in, my, in my house that there would be, that there would be holes all over the wall and the, and the target would be, um, would be clear. <laughs> it would be, we could sell that in a garage sale and make some money because it would be f- whole less. You missed the mark by five feet. That's called sin. Now, imagine, now, who, who was the archer in here? We had a couple. I mean, imagine Jennifer Hewen. You, I mean, you're, you're, you're pretty good and you get it. And like, there's that, I don't know how big the bullseye is, but imagine you're just like a millimeter off. In my book, that's pretty good. <laughs> like, that's, that's close. That's really close. I mean, that's better than me. And in fact, um, well, but do you know what they say about, about close? That only works in, like, horseshoes and hand grenades. So, so actually, close doesn't work for you, Jennifer. If, you, if you're just a little bit off, you still missed. How many know that that's also called sin? And so if we, we're going to, now, now, some people have, this, have this, this thought that all sin is equal. Can I just debunk that? That not all sin is equal. Not all sin is equal. In the sense that how many know that not all sin carries the same consequences? Okay? Not all sin carries the same consequences as far as there might be a sin that where, where somebody commits a sin and, they, and they, they are, it physically leads to a, to a physical death. There might be a, a sin and, it, and a lot of people are affected or, or things like that, right? Can we at least agree that, that based on consequence, that not all sin is equal? Like when my, when my little girl is afraid and, and, and tells a, a little white lie because she doesn't want to get a spanking, right, versus the person that murdered. Can we agree that the consequences of those are, are different? But how many know that regardless of the sin, when my daughter told a, a little lie because she didn't want to get a spanking and when this person over here um, murdered somebody that, that there's equality in the fact that regardless of if it was a little bit off or a lot bit off they both missed the mark they both missed the mark and they both because of that missed what? eternal life both missed heaven both have to get in back into right relationship with God. Are we on the same page as defining sin? Um, for me, I, uh, I remember uh, when, when we're talking about sin and failure, and, you, and now, now we know that regardless of, the, of, of who you are in here and your story, that we have, do you remember a few weeks ago, chapter three, we all have what? Sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all have a story. Some of you, your story, like you would never want to tell anybody about it. And some of you, you're like, oh, yeah, I did this, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I lied too one time, you know. And, but regardless of where we're at, so for me, um, I, was, I was thinking, one day, years ago, I was thinking about this, this topic of failure and sin and coming from my family. If, if you've been around here long enough, I've shared stories about being a fourth-generation pastor, meaning my great-grandpa, not only was I a fourth-generation pastor, I was a fourth-generation Christian. 
my great-grandpa one day decided that even though the whole family were a bunch of sinners, <laughs> he decided he was going to do different. And he started a, a course to where I get to now walk in that, in that legacy, which is, which is a really cool thing. But in that, um, I was struggling with the fact that the Lombard side of the family, um, n- like nobody, there was nobody with a, with a story of, I used drugs and one day God saved me. Nobody with a story of living on the streets and shooting up heroin or sleeping with a bunch of people. Nobody with the story of alcoholism and anything like this. There was none of that. In fact, everybody just had a story of um, I found Jesus and lived for him for my whole life. <laughs> From the age of two weeks old. <laughs> I mean, it was like, that was, that was like the Lombard story. Everybody, oh, so you're a, you're a missionary, or you're a worship leader, or you're a pastor, or you work at a church, or you just, you're like, everybody. There it is. It's a great testimony. It's a great testimony. But listen to this. I was struggling with this one day. Years ago, I don't know how long, maybe, maybe 12, 15 years ago, um, I went out to coffee with my dad, and we were sitting down over a cup of coffee, and I just said, Dad, uh, so, so this is what I appreciate about our family. Like, it, it would seem like all of us are going after the Lord, and everybody's, like, like serving Jesus, and, and, like, what a story, what a legacy. And that, so, so I, I, I praised that. And I also said, this is what I also know about our family. If I were to, if I were to mess up, like, if I were to do something, like, publicly, uh, publicly sin or something like that I know this about my family every single one that I would be accepted and loved isn't that a cool thing I know that I would be loved I know that, that there, the arms would be around me and, and the people would weep with me and we would, we would get through this thing together I know that and I've seen that happen now um, with, uh, with others in our family but watch this at that point this was the other thing I told my dad around coffee I said but I've never heard of or seen anybody in our family fail. So if I did, I'd be the only one. And was really confessing that there's been this performance thing in me of having to live up to a certain unwritten code, an unwritten standard in, in my life. And, and, if I, and if I did mess up, you better keep it quiet because you're the only one. And so what happens? Guilt and shame and all of this stuff. And, and, it, and it's the devil's playground because the devil wants you to keep it secret and quiet and because you might be the only one struggling. Is that, am I the only one? I'm probably the only one that's ever felt that. I found out walking away from coffee that day that I wasn't the only one that ever thought that or felt that. We at least had two of us. <laughs> it's just interesting. This whole topic of sin and failure and how the devil wants to keep you in that place. I, um, just this last week, I had the opportunity um, every once in a while. Man, this week, was it was busy. I think, I think Tuesday and Wednesday, there was north of 12 meetings that I was in. I get, and, and you go from, in my world, I go from one, you know, switch gears, go to another, switch gears. I'm like, you know, it's, it's, and then, so I'm, I'm a little foggy sometimes from one meeting to the next. I'm like, all right, all right, here's the next one. And yet this next one that I was in, um, it was where 
every once in a while in my life and in my career, I say, this is why I do what I do. And I was, I was, sitting, I was sitting in the room and we were talking and the verse in 2 Corinthians, uh, I think it's 7, 10, it says that godly sorrow leads to what? Repentance. I, I, it was one of the first times I saw it play out right before my eyes. It was so refreshing. It was, it was one of those moments I'm like, this is why we do what we do, man. I, we're, we're talking and we're talking about about sin and brokenness and there were tears running down the person's face and they're like how could God ever you know accept me and love me and we're talking about value and all this stuff but it but it it was through but if he could I would want it I mean and and it was like to cry over your sin (laughs) to feel pain over the over your the godly sorrow that you, you, you he never wants us to stay there but i think i think it's good to feel it sometimes to just be like this this breaks his heart not be not not a dad that wants to like like beat you over the head with a baseball bat but a dad that has a broken heart because he he wants closeness with you and that thing has created a gap in his relationship with you and the godly sorrow he looks at that that whether you have real like tears running down your face or whether there's tears on the inside he he sees that and it's like that leads to repentance and it's like it's like a millisecond and there's closeness again i saw that saw that this week where it was in one moment just pain over sin and then in the next moment there was life and there was healing and there was freedom and there was a new creation so good so good that that actually deserves a a hand clap why because the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents there was a party. <laughs> there was a party that day. Um, so we think about this, and then we, and then we immediately we, we, we talk about grace and, and righteousness and all this, because the majority, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and assume that every, one of, every person in this room or that hears this is saved and going to heaven, but the majority in this room, um, I would say, uh, um, are, are going to heaven, um, mainly in the fact that, that I, I see you regularly, and, and it would seem from the fruit of your life that that there's a that there's a pursuit after god i would i would I, but i don't want to assume everybody i would just say the, the the crowd i'm talking to likely you're going to heaven and yet these scriptures still apply to those even after we've accepted jesus and one of the questions that, that we have when it comes to sin is what do i do you know what do i do with sin I, when, we're, when we talk about righteousness, I, I love, one of the best places to go, if you're, if you're wondering about grace and you're wondering about all of that stuff, there's a man in Texas, his name's Robert Morris, and I've always, like, it's, I feel like he just lays it out. There's a series that he, that he did uh, oh, years ago called Overwhelmed by Grace, and another one um, similar called Amazing Grace, and there's lots of resources out there, but if you're just looking for, for hey, I just want more on the topic of grace, look up Robert Morris. Um, good, 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 good stuff. It, it shifted things in my life um, as far as my, my thoughts on grace. And uh, 
he, he tells kind of a, um, an example, and, and he, he talks about, he says, imagine this, imagine God was giving us all um, a test. That we're all sitting in a classroom, we've all got a test, and, and he says this, he says, if, if, uh, if, if he gave you this test, and then he said, he said, now, by the way, you, you have to score 100% on this test in order to pass. And if you pass, well, that's eternal life. That's going to heaven. If you fail, well, that's, uh, that's hell. That, that's death. Bad news. And then he says, well, by the way, you've been taking this test since the moment you were born. And if you miss one, you fail. You miss the, miss the whole thing. All of a sudden, air gets sucked out of the room, and you're like, this is hopeless, right? And then he says this. He says this. Now, my son Jesus took the test and he scored 100% and he would like to give you his score. What, anybody, would you take that, that score? Would you take, take yeah, me too? Absolutely, I would take that score. Um, here, here's, another, here's another example. He talks about um, bank accounts. He talks about how, how Jesus, in Jesus' bank account, if he had a bank account that was full, his bank account is full of righteousness. <laughs> and, and then he talks about my bank account, and my bank account is full of dirty, filthy rags. <laughs> and, and in fact, there's a scripture that says that my best, even in, even in my best day, my best is like filthy rags compared, compared to God's glory. And God's righteousness. And so we look at this and, and one, one account is full of righteousness and one account is just full of dirty and sinful and all of that type of stuff. And he says this, this is, this is what happened. Is that God took all of my dirt and sin and took it out of my account and put it in Jesus' account and said, you die and took all of Jesus' righteousness out of his account and put it in my account and says, you live. Oh, isn't that ama amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. Isn't that worth celebrating over? It's, his grace is so complete. I mean, it's, it's so enormous. It's so powerful. I, I couldn't do anything to deserve it. There was, there was nothing. I, I couldn't earn it, and I, and I couldn't unearn it. I, I, there is, it's not based on my good performance, and it's not based on my bad performance. It's based on his performance. Isn't that amazing? The, the grace of God, I mean, it, it's almost too good to be true. In fact, Paul thought about that because he was one of the guys in the Bible that talked about grace almost more than anybody, and he would explain grace in a way that was almost too good to be true. And as he explained it, questions would arise. Like, well, what do you mean by that? Does that mean this? And does that mean? In fact, here's one of the questions that would come up. Because God's grace is so powerful and so complete, questions like this would come up. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? What a question. 
what a question. It's a real question. This isn't a sarcastic question. It's a real question because his grace is so powerful, so complete, so, so it would feel like I can't do anything to attain it. It's not based on my performance. It's not, it's not based on any, it's only his. So man, wouldn't it make sense that we could actually go on sinning so that grace may increase? It doesn't sit right with you, does it? But you could understand why someone would have that question because of how powerful his grace is. In fact, Paul had a great response to this. What did he say in the next verse? By no means. <laughs> in other words, that, that's stupid thinking. How could you ever think that? The reason why you could think that is because his grace is so amazing that if you're not careful, you could create a theology that says, I could keep on living my life a certain way and it would be okay. And that's, it's because of how amazing his grace is that we get weird theology on both sides of the argument. We, we get people that say, no, 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 you can't live that way, so let's go back to the law. And let's, let's, let's make sure that it's dot your I's and cross your T's because you can't, live, you can't live that free like that. And then we have people that are like, no, wait a minute. You know, it, it's, in fact, there are, there are pastors and books out there where people literally say this, you don't have to ask forgiveness anymore because his grace is so complete. It was complete at the cross. You don't even have to ask forgiveness for your sin anymore. How many know that that's a ditch that you don't want to live in as well as to, to go back to, to uh, finding some sort of righteousness under the law. How many know that's a ditch? Oh, so where do we find the answer? Paul goes on. He says, by no means, that's crazy talk. He says, he says we are those who have died to sin. How could we live in it? any longer in other words if you've had that heart transformation if there's been if 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 jesus really came and and transformed everything in your heart to you were you were once dead and now you were alive you live this way now you live this way you're a brand new creation like it doesn't he says how can we live in it any longer it doesn't make any sense he goes on he says or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into christ jesus were baptized into his death We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may may, may live a new life. Everyone say life because that's what we're talking about. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, everyone say old self, was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin. And that's important to know. We're talking about being ruled by sin. In other words, being governed by sin. If there is a life being governed by sin, that's bad news. That's, that, that's not the life in Christ. That's not what he died for. It says that the, so that the body ruled my, by, by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves 
to sin. If you're a slave to sin, then sin is your master and tells you what to do. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. His logic, Paul's logic was, if you have died, then you are set free. How many know if you physically died, you're set free from sin? Anybody, anyone would agree with me? <laughs> if you physically die, you are set free from sin. He says, it's like the same thing. If you die in Christ, you are, it's like you are set free. It doesn't make any sense logically that you would still live the same way because it, it's almost impossible. Now, we know this. There's a disconnection there because how many know that there's times when we still sin unless you are lying? Ah, that's a sin. <laughs> Good point. Verse 12 says this, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. What, what, do, I, what do I know about this, this verse? That, that I can let it reign. Paul says don't let it reign. And in other words, he, he doesn't say, he doesn't say that, that, that now it's impossible to sin. No, there's still a propensity towards sin. He says, so, I, I like it, was it Bob Newhart? The, the, his, his counseling uh, um, approach with somebody was, knock it off! Knock it off! Just stop it! Stop it! That's what Paul is saying here, I think. Knock it off. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And then he goes on, verse 14, watch this. For sin shall no longer be your master. And this phrase is interesting. Because you're not under law, but under grace. Now that's interesting. Because you would think, wait a minute, it'd be much easier for sin to not be my master if I was under law. If I was crossing my T's and dotting my I's, wouldn't you think? It would be a whole lot easier to not be under sin, to not be under the control and the mastery and be enslaved to sin. If I'm, wouldn't it be so much more easier to fall into sin if I just operated under grace? But, but, but what's the truth here? Paul's saying, no, wait a minute. The grace we're talking about, the grace that comes from God, his, his grace, his grace is actually so powerful that when you receive his grace, when you receive that, it actually empowers you to live right. This isn't just a get me out of jail grace. This isn't just a I live my life and, and then, and then, uh, and then ooh, ooh, deleted. No, this is, it, it, includes, it includes that, but it's a grace that empowers it's, it's a grace that, that man, I, I actually desire more often to live right than I desire to live wrong. Like his grace is power, but it's that powerful. It's that complete. That the deception is, well, let's, let's emphasize rules because I don't want to sin. And God says, wait a minute, my grace is sufficient for you. Let's emphasize my grace. And he says, man, my grace is so powerful that if you overemphasize my grace, people are actually going to live right. It's like, how could you live wrong when you understand what was paid for? <laughs> how could you continually live a lifestyle of sin when you understand the price? 
it was paid. I think it's when you don't understand the price. I think it's when you don't realize your sin. It goes on and I think it's verse 15 it says what 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 then shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace by no means he says it again don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves you are slaves of the one you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or to obedience which leads to righteousness Do you know you can be a slave to obedience i would try that one out see what happens in fact, he, he says in other places that, that actually that's how you love him. That's how you prove your love to him by obeying him in John 15. Verse 18 says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. In other, in other words, once sin was controlling your life and now righteousness controls your life. That, that's good news. That's good news. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness, verse 20. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. That's good news. Man, how many want to be a slave of God? There's this, there's this paradigm, uh, this paradox that we, that we live in. That, that we are a friend of God. We are a servant of God. We are, we, we're best friends and we're also slaves we're a slave of god and it's actually freeing to be a slave of god the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life the benefit you reap in other words some people try to live holy so that they could attain eternal life and he says holiness is a benefit in other words holiness is a byproduct As I am a slave to obedience, a slave to righteousness, really a slave of God, out of this incredible relationship and overwhelming grace, the byproduct becomes holiness. You don't have to try to become holy. You will be, it will be a byproduct of your life. And then he wraps up this whole thing with a verse that we pull out of Romans 6 to um, lead people to the saving knowledge of Jesus but it's nice to read it in context because verse 23 says this for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord in other words what you earn because of sin is death Sin leads to physical death. We, we know there's certain sicknesses and diseases. There's certain consequences because of sin that it can lead to a physical death. I think we could agree with that. It, how many would believe that it would lead to an emotional death? That you could be alive, your beat, heart could be beating, your brain waves could be functioning, and yet you're living like you're dead. That sin could actually rob your emotional life and then would you agree with me that sin 
unrepentant lifestyle of sin could lead to a spiritual death, a forever separation from God in eternity. And how many know that like, that's not what we want? We want to live eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. For the wages of sin, what I earn, I imagine if I'm working a job, I am, uh, I am putting in time, I am putting in energy, I am, I, the result of all of my work, I earn something. And he's using the same example. All of your time, all of your energy, the result of your sin, you earn death. There's been a, uh, uh, a common misconception about Jesus. It, it's actually more of a, less of a misconception and more of an incomplete answer. How many of you ever heard someone say that Jesus took our place on the cross? Yeah, and we don't, no, no one wants to raise their hand now because they're like, wait a minute. Watch this. Imagine, uh, again, I stole this story, but nothing's new under the sun. He probably stole it too, right? Imagine a courtroom scene. I got to share this this week with multiple people. This was, an, it's just an amazing example. Imagine a courtroom scene. And somebody close to you was, I mean, murdered or violated in, in, in a way unspeakable. And this person is on trial for doing that. And you're sitting in the courtroom watching this whole thing play out. And there's a judge and there's lawyers on both sides. And, and, and the jury comes in and they, they are announcing a, a, a verdict of, of uh, death. It's a death sentence. And right as the jury announces the verdict of a life sentence, someone bursts in from the back of the courtroom and says, wait, I want to take their punishment. Kill me instead. And as Christians, we, we think of, this, oh, well, that's, a, that's a great, that's a righteous thing. But no, 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 you would not be saying that. Not, 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 not for one second would you be saying that. Not for one second would you be like, oh, that's a really nice thing for them to do. None of you would. In fact, all of us in this room, we would say, they're not the one that did the crime. In fact, if, we, if we're honest, we would all say, that's not justice. <laughs> and yet we have really attributed that Seen just like that to Jesus and us. Man, there's lots of people in the world that, like, that doesn't even make sense. That's not justice. How many know that it has to be just? It has to be just. He is a just God. He has to operate in justice. If for one moment he stopped operating in justice, how many know that he wouldn't be God? So how could it be just? Well, it becomes justice in Scripture. When the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. In other words, Jesus didn't just take our place. He took our sin. He, it, he took it all on him. It was just as if he did what you did to earn it. It was just as if Jesus did the crime. It was, it was that complete. The only way the Father could operate in justice was to be able to look 
cleanly and clearly and conscious, conscious at his son and say, you die. You did it. It was as if he did it. And then it was just as if we didn't do it. Look at that. Look at the complete picture of grace. But there's a disconnect for us. Because as Christians, we think about, well, well what, about, what about the sin that I commit after? After I'm saved. Did anybody ever have that question? You don't have to raise your hand, you know, unless you want to be bold. Wait a minute. It makes sense to say I was I was cleared of all of the sin I committed before I got saved, and then after you get saved and you commit a sin, you're like, oh, what do I do? What do I do with that? What do I do? And and and, and there's people like like the the ditch on this side where they say, oh, you don't even have to, don't even worry about. It. He he forgave you of all of that at the cross, and you don't even have to confess. And, and then there might be people over here that say, oh, no, you've got to get saved again. Go get saved again. Salvation's like a slippery bar of soap. Whoop, go. I'm not saved. Oh, I'm saved. Whoop, not saved. Whoop, saved. Whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> How will you know there's probably a better truth than that? What do we do? What do we do? You know, the, I'll tell you the how this happens, and then I'll tell you what our response is here in just a minute. Watch this. There's a character or an attribute of God called the transcendence of God. He's transcendent, which means that he steps outside of time and space. He's not bound by time or space. We are linear in our approach. So th that means that, that we can only see what's right in front of our face. We can't see down the road, and, and we can't live in our past. It's impossible. We can only kind of live right here, right now. We're linear in our, and he turns that sideways. He's outside of time and space, and the way that only makes sense in his brain, he sees the beginning and the end and everything in between, all in an eternal now. It's all happening right now. The, 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 the whole time, your whole timeline is happening right now in front of him. Not only your whole timeline, the whole timeline of eternity is happening in an eternal now. He is that big. He is that good. Not only is he transcendent, he's omnipresent. That means that he's everywhere at once. Not only is he everywhere at once right now, he's everywhere at once in all eternity. Past, present, and future. Not only is he omnipresent, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful is what that means. And you see this God who steps out of time and space that is everywhere at once and is all-powerful. And this God that we serve, he is dying on the cross 2,000 years ago right now for me. And I can step in to the power of his death, burial, and resurrection right now and so he died for my sins, past, present, and future. And the question comes is, okay, so he forgave me of my, even my future sins, and so do I still need to confess? Do I still need to confess my sins? He already forgave me. Do I still need to confess my sins? And that's the question of the hour, isn't it? 
Because while it's true that he forgave me, this is the truth that I hope that we could all walk into today. I still need to receive his forgiveness. Or I like it this way, I need to step into his forgiveness. It's already done. He already forgave. It was that powerful. He doesn't have to think. When you come to him, he doesn't think about it. It's not like a, it's not like, well, let me, can I, I'll get back to you tomorrow. No, no. When you come to him, he's already forgiven, but I'm stepping in to his forgiveness. And how do I know that? Because the Bible says this, and here's the, here's the verse, here's the, the few verses that we watch. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Don't be that. Don't be the self-righteous people. That's actually sin. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. I love this. Man, there's a, there's a beautiful principle here. You're like, what's this have to do with eternal life? Everything. Not only the initial time that I confessed and I received salvation but there is a spiritual principle i would say uh, uh, a spiritual discipline or a spiritual habit the catholics actually maybe get this it's a principle of confession but you know this you can't confess what you haven't acknowledged james 5 also talks about confession. He says this in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you would what? Be healed. I think that's physical and emotional. I think it's heart healing as well as your body. And the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Confession is one of the ways to continually walk in the eternal life God has for us. to make a habit of saying, what, what did King David do? How did he do this? He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious ways or my anxious thoughts and lead me in a way everlasting. Oh. But if you, here's the danger. When you don't recognize it as sin or you start to justify your sin, you go down a dangerous path. And so for us, there's one part of this message that stings because we have to look at the ugly part of our life. And there's one part of this message that is so freeing and so full of life because he wants you to walk in eternal life, not just wait for it someday. And one of those ways is for you to say, Lord, is there anything I need to confess? And one part of that confess it to him acknowledge that it's actually sin acknowledge that your pride isn't just a personality acknowledge that your self-righteousness is actually sin and you're not just uh, um, uh, the holiness police acknowledge that that you have missed the mark that even just a little bit you deserve death would you would you say, like King David in the Jonathan version, shine your mag light into the dark places in my life and the places that I just don't even recognize as sin anymore because it's been so long. Would you light it up and show me that it is? 
Because when we do this, when we finally recognize, finally call it what it is, and we confess, can you put the scripture back up? When we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. It comes from his justice. He is faithful and just because he looks at his son who, can we just agree that deserved to die? Because it wouldn't be justice if he didn't. He is faithful and just to not only forgive me of my sin, but also purify me just as if I hadn't done it in the first place. Pastor Kelly and your team, you could come. For me, growing up in a Christian home and a pastor's family, um, not everybody has my story. Even, even other pastor's kids don't have my story. How many know that pastor's kids sometimes have the worst story? <laughs> I was the one that was too afraid to do anything wrong. My mom, my mom would count to three. How many moms know you count to three and they're right by your side or they stop what they're doing, right? I, I would, she would get to two and a half and I'd be done. I was the obedient kid. I, uh, most, most of the time. I, uh, I didn't, there was never a time. I didn't get the, man, I, there was a time when I was almost jealous and envious of the testimonies of those that, that had walked away from God and did everything and then came back. I'm like, I wish I had a story. I remember times when I would travel around with a, um, with, with a group it was in, in, a, in a discipleship group called Master's Commission, and we would go to churches and do dramas, and we would share testimonies, and my testimony was never picked because <laughs> it didn't get the, the tears. <laughs> it didn't fill the altars. <laughs> man, I would lie if I, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say, Bruce, man, I kind of wanted the other testimony. You know, because of the way I grew up, there was a lie for me, and maybe some of you relate to this in this room. There was a lie that I would believe that I was a little bit better than other people. That I, I never did what they did. <laughs> they, they didn't have as much self-control as me. And knowingly or unknowingly, there was this self-righteousness that would rise up. And I had to confess that. I had to really, truly come to the understanding that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. That the confession that works for the story of the rags to riches is the same confession that works with the person that says, I never, I never did... I never did all that stuff. And yet the confession that brings me into right relationship with God is the same confession that brings them into right relationship. And we're the same. At that point, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Some of you needed to hear that this morning. Some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit's working. In fact, could we stand this morning? And the Some of you just need to admit 
to yourself and to God, maybe even to nobody else yet, but to yourself and to God, yeah, that, that, that's, that's sin. I just call it what it is. I, I recognize it as sin so that you can confess it, receive forgiveness, and be purified of all unrighteousness. Because if you don't confess it, you're not going to be living the eternal life that God has for you right now. With, with the altar empty and all the prayer teams in their seats, would you take a moment as Pastor Kelly leads us and just say, search me and know me. And in a few minutes, I will invite the altar workers and I'll release us and let us go. And if you'd like to stay, you could stay in your seat. You could come forward and be bold. But could this be a day that we don't leave this sanctuary until we've done business with God, like my grandpa used to say. All over this place, Holy Spirit, come. The Holy Spirit that convicts and to draws us into right relationship with God. Every voice that's not of the living God, we silence right now. Every voice of condemnation, we silence right now. Every voice that would bring guilt and shame, we silence right now. You're not allowed to operate. You're not allowed to speak in this room. But Holy Spirit, you're allowed to speak. You're allowed to speak to hearts. You're allowed to point out anything you'd like to point out. And Lord, we just ask that this would be a holy moment where we are drawn into a closer relationship with you than we ever have, that we actually get to experience your eternal life today. In Jesus' name. Let's worship for a minute as Holy Spirit's working on our hearts, and then in a minute we'll invite our altar workers.
just going to invite the, the prayer team forward, and you're welcome to leave if you've done business with the Lord and you're done. And if you'd like to stay, whether it be in your seat or standing or being here up here at the altar to